Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. broadcaster and a longtime friend of Red Leg Nation, Mr. Chris Welsh. Chris, as always, thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me on. It seems like it's been a long time, so I guess we've got some catching up to do. Yeah, we really do. Let's let's start with the front office. Uh, there's been a, a change in the front office this offseason with Dick Williams taking over the GM duties. Uh, how are these guys different in their approach to running the ball club? Well, you know, first of all, we're not exactly sure how that change is going to happen. I think that the important thing is is that that, that changeover has 100% cooperation and that they have a really good idea of the direction that they're going to go in with one guy giving up the reins, Walt Jockety, and Dick Williams receiving those. Now, I haven't seen anything that would indicate that they wouldn't be on the same page, but in any kind of transformation, uh, that's important. <clears throat> the way I think they do it is old school versus new new school. If you want to boil it down like that, um, Walt Jockety uh, uh, has been well known as to have a uh, you know an eye on the game. Uh, his advisors are former scouts, former managers, pitching coaches like Jerry Walker, uh, Cam Bonifay, uh, Kevin Towers, uh, guys that have had a history in the game really before any of the number crunching and analytics have ever come around. So it's uh, uh, that's one side of it. And then Dick Williams brings. A newer approach. He brings more analytics. He he's hired a number of people that uh, are you know, for the lack of a better term, you know, math math experts, uh, statistical experts. Uh, they're able to do the kind of analysis that I think is being done all over baseball now. Uh, so I think you're going to be a shift in a little bit more towards the analytic part than there has been in the past. Not that the Reds have been in the Stone Age in that, but I think you're going to see a little bit more aggressiveness when it comes to analytics. You think there'll be any any noticeable difference to the fans as to how the, how the ball club's being run? I don't think so. Uh, most of those things are all behind the scenes, and, and unless you're really watching, 
you know, you may see a difference in the number of defensive shifts that are going on. You may see some changes in, in lineups if you're really paying close attention. But if you're, you know, most of the fans, 90 to 95% of the fans are, are turning the TV on or they're going out to the ballpark and they're just enjoying the game. They're not noticing that, you know, this guy's batting second against left-handed hitters and sixth against right-handed hitters. You know, so mm-hmm. those are the kind of things that, uh, well, the members of Red Leg Nation will pick up and most fans don't. Let's go into the dugout, Chris. The, the Reds made the decision to bring back Brian Parrish and the whole coaching staff. Did that surprise you at all? Not one bit. No. I think the Reds feel like they're, they're still legitimately a year away from being, you know, up there to contend with uh, whoever's going to be at the top of the National League Central. Presumably that will be the Cardinals and the Cubs. Uh, so uh, I still think that they have some young players that they, they still need to learn a little bit more and get more experience. So, you know, the one fallacy of that, though, Bill, is that, you know, you never, you don't pick the year in which you're going to compete. Sometimes a year picks you, right. you know, based on the number of injuries that you have, the number of uh, players that are playing maybe over their head, giving you career years that you didn't expect, and so on and so forth. So sometimes there's a, a huge luck factor that goes into that. Uh, but I think that the Reds feel like, you know, uh, Brian Price is, uh, wasn't given really a team that could compete at all this year. They got off to a horrible start. Uh, he didn't do anything down in the second half of the season when the Reds had a very good record uh, compared to the rest of the league, uh, you know, to diminish his chances of coming back. He didn't, you know, he didn't piss anybody off in the front office. He didn't alienate any of the players. I think the players like him. They respect him. And uh, I think they're going to give him another shot to, to, to manage a ball club that will have higher expectations next year. How tough do you think it is, Chris, for a manager to, to, to have a team that's A, young, and B, is in a rebuild mode with conflicting pressures? I mean, he's got a pressure to win versus teaching and getting the guys ready to compete. Is, is that, that's is where that, it's so important. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with that question, Bill. I, I think that's why it's so important that the, that the manager and the front office are on the same page. Because he's got to go to them and say, listen, you're, you're not going to judge me by my win-loss record at the end of the year, right? Because I want to play these young players. I want to put young pitchers in high leverage situations that we wouldn't normally put them in. Uh, so, but I have to have your backing that I'll be back here next year, or that I've got a contract on its way. So, uh, that's what that was the conundrum, really, that that Brian Price found himself in. I think he wanted to he he managed like he wanted to win a lot of games. Uh, we saw Jose Peraza, for instance, up on the big league roster, seemingly for a month and never getting a start. Um, so, and then eventually getting back to the minor leagues. So. It's important, I think, that uh, the manager and front office are on the same page. And I'm not so sure that they were all year long. I think at the end of the year they probably were. Uh, but uh, I think Brian Price was just trying to win ball games. What do you think he needs to do to keep the job beyond 2017? Because honestly, there aren't many, if any, managers that I can think of that survive a rebuild. Well, you're right, and you know you also have to ask yourself who else is out there. Right. Uh, but let's go back to what Brian Price has to do. I think number one, he's got to have show improvement this year over next year. I mean, uh, this year, 2017, that is over 2016. And uh, I mean, you have some nice pieces here. You really do. I mean, if this ball club had just had a little bit better relief pitching in the beginning of the year, who knows where where they would have been able to go because they had a pretty solid lineup. Uh, through and through, and they play very good defense. So uh, I think, Brian, you know, I think what they'll look at is um, how's your record in 2017, and are you the guy to take this ball club to the next step? 
And, and you, you mentioned, you know, talking about who's out there, and I'm gonna, I want to, I'm gonna hit me with one one off the wall here real quick. What do you think of the Barry Larkin managing the Reds rumors? Well, I think that's what they are is rumors. Uh, you know, managing now is not anything like it was when Barry was a player. Uh, and it's it's 24-7. I mean, these guys get to the ballpark at 11 o'clock, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. Um, they're, uh, they're analyzing and reanalyzing and analyzing some more, uh, you know, even before the players begin to show up. Uh, they're held to different standards, I think, that they had been before as far as time commitment. Um, everything is so detailed now. Everybody has a checklist that has to have boxes checked off. The strength guy does. The trainers do. Uh, the pitching coaches and the assistant pitching coaches. Same for the hitting coaches and so on. So it's not seat of the pants anymore at all. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, it takes a huge time commitment. And I'm not so sure that Barry uh, is, is, you know, a, a guy that wants to do it quite like that. Yeah. I think that that's what ownership demands nowadays. I think Barry could do a, a marvelous job as a manager's ball club. He's a smart baseball guy. He gets along with people. He commands respect. He was a tremendous player, uh, which will help you when you go to a player and say, hey, I want you to do this. And they look at you if you never played in the major leagues and say, well, what do you know about it? Right. So you can't say that to Barry Larkin. But <laughs> at the same time, I don't know if uh, nowadays is the time that you bring in you know, a former superstar. Because remember what happened when they, when they hired Tony Perez uh, or even Pete Rose or former players that were really great players with the Reds, when you hire them, someday you have to understand you're going to probably have to fire them and let right. them go. Yeah. And uh, that's when it becomes very difficult. Sometimes what looks like an easy hire turns out to be a very difficult fire. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some players for, for a minute, Chris. Let, let's, let's start at the top. Let's talk, with, talk about Joey. Uh, he had another Joey Votto season, but, but it wasn't easy for him. At the end of May, he was really struggling. But his second half was was better than last year's, which I never would have believed was possible. Do you think the Reds fans grasp the level of greatness they're seeing and hitting from Joey Votto? I hope they do because it's something that uh, it's such a rarity. I've never seen it. I mean, two 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 seasons in a row where the second half is just clearly the best hitter in baseball. I mean, and I go by. How many outs does a guy make? And I know a lot of people don't like the on-base percentage things and so on, but, you know, I've always been on that wagon, really, to be honest with you. And as a former pitcher, I never wanted to pitch against guys that were on base all the time because now i got to pitch out of the stretch, and that's when bad things happen. So Votto is just a difficult out. Um, so, you know, I, I hope the Reds fans grasp it. I think that they do. Uh, but I think until Votto puts a whole season together, I mean, you can't take a two-month hiccup and then come back and be Ted Williams the rest of the year and get the same credit that you would if you just were solid all year long. So, you know, he came very close to doing something like that, but uh, his start this year uh, didn't help him at all. Where would you have Joey on your MVP ballot if you had one? Oh, I'd probably have him. I have definitely have him in the top uh, four. Yeah. You know, there's no question about it. Uh, you know, but again, you know, even Joey Votto himself said, you know, in order to be the MVP, you got to be a complete player. And I think Joey, over the last couple of years, has taken a step back defensively, yeah. and I think he's taken a step backwards uh, as far as being a base runner. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think the team part of Joey Votto is beginning to come out a little bit. And interestingly enough, it, for me, it happened when Joey 
saw his friend Jay Bruce traded to New York. All of us, you know, it used to be Jay and Joey and Jay and Joey, and they would hang out and so on around the batting cage. And I'm not privy to go into the clubhouse when the clubhouse is closed, and I don't hang out with these guys on the road or anything. And I'm sure he's got other friends, but you know, on the field during batting practice, when most of the the talking back and forth is going on, it was a lot was Joey and Br- Jay Bruce. Well, now that Bruce is gone, Joey's talking to guys like Scott Shebler, Billy Hamilton, uh, Eugenio Suarez. I mean, these guys are all beginning to hear some nuggets coming from one of the best best hitters in the game. And uh, I think it's a benefit. And I think that that part of this game came forward a little bit, but defensively and on the base pass, that went backward a little bit. Do you, do you see him as being on a Hall of Fame trajectory? Yeah, I sure do. There's no question about it. How many more years, good years, you know, big years do you think he has to have? Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you that because okay. I really don't know. Uh, as you know, I don't have a vote. Uh, I object vehemently to, to <clears throat> the way that uh, a lot of these writers, uh, you know, when you ask, them, they ask a writer, hey, is this guy a Hall of Fame player? He goes, well, let me go check the numbers. Well, I mean, if, if it was as simple as checking the numbers, you, you, Bill, you could write an algorithm and uh, figure that out, right? Yep. So I think there's a lot more to it. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Votto needs some great years. There's no question about it. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I think he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Do you, uh, moving on a little bit, do, do you see a conundrum with the Brandon Phillips situation, and do you see it being resolved this offseason? Well, if you're talking about the conundrum being Brandon here in his last year, Red's wanting to move him, and he has 10 and 5 rights, which right. labels him to veto any trade. Yeah, there is a conundrum there, and I don't see it happening. I mean, you know, uh, Brandon would have moved last year when he was offered a deal to go to the Nationals, but he wanted more money to do that. This is what happens traditionally with every player that has no, a veto trade mm-hmm. uh, rights. He, he goes to the club and says, you want to make this trade? This is what it's going to cost you. And uh, I'll give you a quick example as to how the Chicago Cubs ended up with Kyle Hendricks. You know, they had a deal on July the 20th, 2012, with the Braves for, for uh, Delgado, Randall Delgado. And Dempster, well, for Ryan Dempster. Ryan Dempster was supposed to pitch that night. The deal was done at 5 o'clock. The Cubs said, we'll sit on it until the next day. So when, when Dempster pitched, because it was too late to pull him out of the start, the next day, he wakes up, his cell phone's blowing up, he's got all these friends calling and saying, heard you got traded, heard you got traded to the Braves. So he wants him back to the Cubs, and they said, hey, you said you were going to waive your trade rights. He says, yeah, but you're supposed to run this stuff by me right now, and you didn't do it. I'm, I'm vetoing the trade. So then, 10 days of very awkwardness goes on between the Cubs front office and Ryan Dempster. They finally get the, the Rangers on the phone an hour before the deadline, and they make a deal, and... Uh, the Cubs tell them, uh, you know, just get that guy who was recommended, whoever he was. And it turned out to be Kyle Hendricks. So, you know, players are all the time using their rights of veto power. And in the case of Brandon, he's going to be 36 years old when he comes out of this contract. He wanted to have a little bit more money, a little security at the end of that contract. The Nationals were unable to do that to him for him. And uh, so he, he uh, vetoed it. And I would be very surprised uh, if if he he'd be allowed himself to be traded somewhere else uh, right now, unless it was a place that he really wanted to go. Is he the Reds' starting second baseman on opening day? Well, I, I suppose he is. I mean, he had a pretty good year, didn't he? Uh, you know, the, the Reds have to figure out what the, what they're going to do. I mean, 
Well, this really puts everybody in a tough spot. Puts the front office in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. Puts the manager in a tough spot. Uh, puts Brandon in a tough spot. Puts Jose Peraza or, or Dilson Herrera in, in a tough spot, whoever may be the second baseman. Um, it, it, these things usually have a way of, of, of figuring themselves out, and I think that's probably what the Reds are hoping. And, and Zach Kozar is kind of in the same spot, without, but without the, the, the power. Uh, is Zach Cozart on this team opening day, do you believe? Yeah, unless they can trade Zach. It was, you know, I, I'm heartbroken for Zach, to be honest with you, because he's such a great kid. He's a hard worker. He thought he was coming back from that knee surgery and was going to be just fine. He's going to be turning on the other side of 30 years old. And, uh, you know, that's not kind of middle infielders if you just look statistically and historically um, on those guys that turn 30 and have major injuries, especially leg injuries. Their production begins to go down a little bit. And uh, he was having a really good year, uh, Zach was. And uh, uh, But I think, you know, you got to ask yourself going forward. I mean, are you going to pay Zach Cozart four and a half or five million dollars on this team and you have an adequate backup to play who may be your shortstop for the future? I think a lot of people, when they got Jose Peraza, had already convinced themselves that he couldn't play shortstop. I think he changed some minds about that. Is Cozart, is he arbitration eligible this year? Yes, he is. So, so if they could non-tender him, do you think that might happen? I don't think they're going to non-tender him, no. Okay. Uh, I, I think that they, they want to prove that he's going to be healthy to play, so they'll probably uh, <clears throat> tender him. Uh, go to arbitration if they have to, uh, have him in spring training, and uh, then try to deal. Do, do you think if, if, if he and Brandon are on this team in, on opening day, does that say anything about the Reds' commitment to a rebuild? No, I think that they've tried. I mean, they just had had bad luck. I mean, they thought they had a deal for Brandon. They thought they uh, had Zach Cozart in a position where he would be able to uh, uh, be on the trade market this winter, but we, with a bad knee, you don't know what that market is. So I, I think they tried. Uh, but sometimes this forces work against you. Okay, we, we've, you've mentioned Jose Peraza a number of times, and, and I think he's proven that he's major league ready. I, I, you know, do, do, where do you think he lines up most of the time in 2017? Any any guesses? I think he probably lines up at shortstop, and I think he bats second. Do you think the Reds are worried about his walk rate? Well, uh, no, I think it's something that you, you know, I, there, there's a couple of different theories on that. Bill, you may even know more about me, but, you know, some, one theory is, well, hey, if you don't have a walk rate in the minor leagues, you're not going to all of a sudden learn strikes out in the big leagues. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't think I agree with that. Uh, I think that uh, Peraza shows me the ability to hit the ball the other way, which means you're hitting it late out of the catcher's mitt. Um, he doesn't take a big swing. Uh, he's willing to. I mean, once you once you get him around the league a little bit, and uh, he, he's he's a smart ball player. I can tell you that right now. He will adapt, and I think his walk walk rate is going to go up. Okay, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you referee a disagreement now, Chris. Red League Nation. All right, go ahead. My, you know, you know Chad Dotson, our our founder of Red Leg Nation, and he and I have a, a big. Disagree- oh, sure. We have a big disagreement on Billy Hamilton, and I'm I'm going to read Chad's quote about Billy Hamilton first. So Chad said, and I'm, I'm reading this book, I think he's a comic book superhero. In all seriousness, I believe he's the most exciting player in baseball, the best defensive center fielder in the game, and the best base runner. Given that he made real progress at the plate this year and he's still young, I think he stands a decent chance of bumping his on-base percentage up to around 335, at which point he'll be an all-star. 
I guess my question to you is, do, do you buy that? I have still have questions about Billy. Uh, whether the surge in his on-base percentage was a spike or a trend, I hope it's the latter. And his and his durability. Can you can you be a great player and not stay on the field? Well, no, you can't, and that's the one thing holding him back. That sometimes that's the most unpredictable thing of all. Uh, but everything else that Dotson wrote, um, you know, short of being a superhero, I agree with. <laughs> I, I think the kid. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> hey, hey, I know Billy. Yeah, I've gotten to know him very well, and I believe in Billy. I really do. I, I think that he's a uh, he's got great baseball uh, acumen. Uh, he may not even know what that means, uh, but he, he gets it, and he's willing to work hard, and he really changed. I mean, I think Votto had a huge hand in this, and I think that you know he's willing to learn, and, and I, uh, I, I just think that your guy's going to be – you're not going to have to worry about Billy Hamilton. He's, got, he's the guy that everybody else on every other team wishes that he was on their team. I can tell you from talking to managers on the other team, they want to know – is Hamilton healthy? How is he doing? He's the guy that kind of In a postseason type game, you know, if the Reds can get to the postseason, he's a game changer. There aren't too many guys in baseball that are like that. Okay. So, so you're siding with Chad. That's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he is the founder, anyway, after oh, all. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah, I know. He, you know. He's the guru, so. Is he, uh, is he the guy that signs my checks? Yeah, he's the guy that signs all those big checks with all the zeros. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any doubt the biggest surprise for the Reds in 2016 was Adam Duvall. Do, do you think he's a long-term answer in the outfield? I mean, he's not a kid, but he had a heck of a first year in the big leagues. Well, he did have a heck of a first year in the big leagues, and, and he's a great kid, and he has a lot of uh, reason why uh, you, you'd hope that he was going to be able to continue what he did. But But I think that you know, you have to also remind yourself that Adam Duvall was what twenty-seven or twenty-eight years He's old, 27. Um, and and he uh, is, you know, just getting a chance for the first time. Uh, <clears throat> he's another guy that doesn't walk a whole lot. Um, he uh, is is. Uh, you know, I really don't know how to read him. Mean, I love Adam Duvall. I mean, he's one of the nicest young men you're ever going to meet. I think you, I think you need to have somebody in the lineup that has this kind of pop. I, I love his, his approach. His approach is to hit the fastball the other way and, and pull the breaking ball, uh, which is you get out in front of it and you pop some balls down the line for home runs. He's got home run, um, he's got a home run bat and bat speed without looking like he overswings, if you know what I mean. So just from a baseball standpoint, I, I like his approach. Long-term, I don't know what you mean by long-term. You're talking about three years, you're talking about eight years. Eh, let's uh, say three to I five. I don't know. Uh, well, let, let, let's see what's in the pipeline. In the meantime, I keep Adam Duvall out there until somebody pushes him out of the way. He also, I, I also thought he played much better defense than, you, than was expected, considering it was first, his first year really playing the outfield. Well, the guy was a shortstop in high school. He was a third baseman in college, and he played, you know, first base and third base in the minor leagues. So, you know, you essentially have an, have an infielder, um, you know, playing the outfield for you, which is always a good thing rather than the other way around. When they Remember they tried to convert Adam Dunn to be a first baseman? Yeah, that didn't work out. I'd rather much. have it. I'd rather have the infielder going to the outfielder <laughs> anytime. Let's finish up the the outfield about, and let's talk about Scott Shebler. Is he a starter? Is he a platoon guy? A left-handed bench bat? What do you think? On the Reds right now, he's a starter, uh, and 
you know, I, I don't, you know, it's, sometimes what happens, Bill, is that you, you know, you, you, you come up and you surprise the league a little bit and then the league adjusts to you. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Scott Shovel is going to be an every, every year all-star, uh, but he sure has some nice tools. He has some good back speed. I think he was uh, one of the top ten in the league as far as exit bat uh, velocity uh, on, on balls that are coming off his bat this year, which is a, a, one of these new stats uh, mm-hmm. that I really happen to, to, to think is a valid something to look at. Uh, he's got good speed in the outfield. He doesn't have a very good arm. He's below average there. Uh, he's probably a pretty good base runner. Um, so, you know, I, I, and he's young, so, and he's left-handed, and I like the left-handed part a lot. So uh, I'm willing to give him a shot again until somebody moves him out. Uh, you know, he's a starter here. Is he starting in Chicago for the Cubs? Probably not, but he's starting for the Reds. There's a lot of people that think Nick Senzel will be here pretty quick. You know, you hear talk of the end of 17. I have a hard time believing that, but let's say early 18. Is, is Eugenio is Suarez a, a, an outfield candidate? If, if Senzel's well, you know, is, is Senzel better than Suarez? <laughs> you know, I mean, we'll have to I, see. I but, that yeah, I mean, Suarez is twenty three, right? Uh, twenty four. 24, okay, well, and, and Senzel young. is probably 21, uh, going to be 22 next year. So so there's two years of difference, and Suarez already already has his, this is his third year in the major league. So, um, you know, Senzel better get here in a hurry, but it's one thing that happens when you get drafted out of college. You know, you get a late start on life in the major leagues uh, compared to those guys who get there early. So, um, again, I, I'm, the, I'm the same with with uh, Suarez as I am with Shevler and Duvall. Until somebody pushes him out of the way, he's my guy at third base. Okay. Senzel, you know, maybe you know uh, the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, but really, all he has to do is be better than Suarez, and we'll have to figure out whether that happens or not. And I haven't even gotten to see the guy play live yet. Well, and, 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 and to be fair, he's he's only played high a or low A. Right, you know, you know, and and and, and at twenty was he twenty one Senzel? Yes, yeah, at twenty one Suarez is was he playing for the Detroit Tigers at twenty one? If he wasn't twenty one, he wasn't um, twenty two. Yeah, so so you know, it, 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 it you know, I'm not saying Senzel cannot catch up to him. And I'm not saying uh, Nick Senzel is not going to be a really really good major league player because everybody who's seen him play in the minor leagues, they love him. Uh, I, I just can't wait to see him. I can't tell you anything about him now because I haven't seen him play. Yeah. Uh, catching. Where do you think the Reds see Devin Mazzarocco at this point? Boy, uh, you know, they, they, they see him uh, with their fingers crossed, hoping that he can stay healthy. Um, again, uh, another great kid, really good character kid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, um, but... You know, can can he catch every day, or can he even catch on a part-time, regular basis uh, after having you know double hip surgeries? I don't know that. I don't think anybody can tell you that answer. Um, uh, it's going to really present an issue for them if he cannot catch at all, uh, because then you're going to end up ke- keeping three catchers, uh, presumably you know the same catching duo that you had this year with Cabrera and Barnhart. And then uh, uh, Rocco, uh, unless you can find a home for Mesoraco playing first base on another ball club somewhere. But uh, I, I don't know. I, it's a, 
it's a shame. Uh, you know, you got Mezzarocco and Cozart that are kind of in, in, in the same bag. You don't know whether these guys are going to be able to come back and play at the level or not. Yeah, Devin's a he's been a, a you know a long time uh, favorite of Red Leg Nation. He's been on with us a number of times, and and so is Tom. I love the guy. I mean, he's yeah. he's a throwback. He, he's a, he's a get your uniform dirty kind of guy in your face if you're not playing the game the right way. I love Mezzarocco. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if you're making decisions about the Reds in the future, you've got to take everything into consideration. Obviously, the ability to be on the field is, is the utmost. Yeah. And Tucker Barnhart is another – he's a great – another great guy. And, and, and I think this year, Tucker oh. shown, it showed that he's going to be – he can play Major League Baseball for a long time and make a lot of money. I mean, he hit reasonably well, plays great defense – Showed this year that, that even despite his size, he can play pretty much every day. I, I think he really opened a lot of people's eyes this year. I, I never got the size thing with catchers, to be honest with you. And, you know, it used to be the catcher on your little league team was, was the biggest kid on the team because he couldn't run and he didn't want to put him at shortstop or in the outfield, right? So you put him behind the plate because he blocks everything because his body's big. Well, that's where the misnomer of catchers are. You know, I, I can tell you that as a former pitcher, I'd rather throw to a catcher who gives the umpire the best view of the strike zone. And I don't think there's anybody in the league who gives the umpire a better view of the strike zone than Tucker Barnhart. I love the way the guy operates behind the plate. I love the way he's taken over this year a, a, a level of leadership, and he's proven everybody wrong who said that he couldn't play every day in the major leagues because of his size. Baseball is one of those last sports where it doesn't matter, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm with you on Barnhart. Yeah, I, I, I'm a I'm a big fan, and, and I think he surprised everybody with how well he hit this year. Um, let's talk about the pitching staff because I think that's where most people would say that you know all the questions, some of the strengths, and a lot of the questions are: um, is is Disclafani the Reds' number one starter going into 2017? I don't know. I mean, if you don't have an ace of your staff, like a Clayton Kershaw or Noah Syndergaard or, you know, Scherzer or one of these guys, that, that, you know, then does it matter who's number one and who's number two and who's number three if everybody's the number three? So, I mean, yeah, he, he, he's your most solid guy, I think. What, what um, do you think? If, if Rysel Iglesias is, is healthy and – can, can throw you 200 innings, he's your number one guy because he can be a number one. But um, I think as far as the, the realistically, you, you know, you've got to put Steve Scafani right there in, in, in the top of your rotation. Do, do you think, so don't call him a number one because there are only about a handful of number ones out there. Right, true number ones, yeah, aces. Do you think we've seen his best or do you think he's still going to get better? I think he's going to get better. I think that the... Uh, about midway through the year, it seemed like he scrapped the changeup. He went to fastball slider. Uh, he's got great tilt on his slider. goes straight down because of the way he holds it. And uh, he, he's a gamer. He really, really is. Even though it took him 10 weeks to come off the disabled list with that rib injury, I think that uh, he is still a guy that, um, uh, you know, I'd love to give the ball to, uh, you know, 30 times next year. So I think he's going to keep in a lot of games. There's some rumors or articles or stuff out there that said t- late in the year that the, the p- people were talking that the Reds may have rushed Homer back. You think they did? No, I, I think that they did not. I think that Homer went, you know, you're your own, 
you're your own biological clock when that happens, you know. And, you know, maybe he pushed himself a little bit too hard. I really don't know. Um, you know, nowadays they seem to be taking a little bit more time than less time coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, so I, I don't think it was anything to do with what the Reds did and their protocol. I mean, they, they've, they have a pretty good idea what they need to do. But there was a big spotlight on Homer because he was the guy that was supposed to anchor this team. Mm-hmm. They gave him $100 million. And he hadn't pitched uh, really much at all ever since they, they gave him that kind of money. So he's got some responsibility to that contract. And I think the Reds are hoping that he's going to be healthy enough to, you know, to be able to earn it. You see Brandon Finnegan's future as a starter or reliever? Uh, I'm sorry, who, who Lorenzen? Finnegan. Oh, Finnegan? I see him as a starter. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I can tell you, I was like a lot of people at the beginning of the year that uh, they liked him as a reliever. Um, but, hey, you know what I like about him? He has a lot of swings and misses. Uh, he, he seemingly throws the ball right down the pipe, and the guys swing through it. He's got a very quick arm. Uh, there's some deception there. He's a little bit um, uh, over-aggressive as far as his delivery goes, I mean, as far as his effort level on every pitch. But that's going to come to him. Here's another guy that's only 22 or 23 years old. Yep. Fits in the major league. So, uh, yeah, hey, and I love left-handers in the, in the rotation, too. And it's been a long time since the Reds have had one. We we the the Red Leg Nation folks had a chance to at the at the game last time I saw you at the Reds game that day when we were da- when we were down there and you circled us on the screen. Um, yeah. We had a chance to do a Q and A with a couple of the Reds uh, assistant GMs, and there was they were asked about Iglesias and Lorenzen, and there was they talked about uh, maximizing the value of relievers by having them pitch more than one inning, and I at least myself I kind of came out of that. That discussion or that Q and A with the feeling that they had kind of set their decision making already that Lorenzen was going to be a bullpen guy, and that Iglesias they they didn't really know. Do do you think the Reds have made a decision on either one of these guys? I know they they're saying they haven't, but do do you think that they're leaning one way or the other? I think they're leaning uh, certainly in the relief for Lorenzen, uh, just based on what his stuff looks like the first time through a lineup versus the second and third time through. Uh, just look at what his, his velocity of his fastball was when he became a starter, and then went from you know 96 to 98 all the way down to 92 to 94. Uh, he's rather straight with his fastball, so he needs that extra pop. Uh, I think he he uh, I think he he translates for me as a better reliever, and I think he's got uh, the ability to be a late inning high leverage reliever too. Uh, I, I really do, and and um, and he's a special kid. Uh, I like him as a bullpen guy. I like Iglesias as a uh, as a starter, but I don't know if his arm is going to withstand that. I don't know if he wants to be a starter. He may want to be a reliever. The idea of this two-inning thing, you know, I don't want to accuse anybody of reinventing the game, uh, but um, nowadays what most ball clubs are looking at is trying to fill their – having a one stud – fill the rest of the rotation with number three or four starters, and then have a lights-out bullpen. And uh, <clears throat> that formula seems to work. Now, if you can get a guy to go more than one inning, I'm all for that. Because I think every time you go to the bullpen, you bring in a certain uh, percentage of, of unknown. Even with a consistent reliever, even with a role as Chapman, it's not guaranteed. 
The only guaranteed guy that I remember was Eric Gagne for a year. We all know that why, why that happened. And uh, maybe Mariano Rivera for the majority of his career. But they don't make those guys very often. And so well, if I see Iglesias one day, if I see Lorenzen one day coming out there in that first inning and he's just popping a ball and blowing people away, I'm sending him back out there for a second and no doubt. If I get the feeling he's not pitching very well and he's struggling, I'm bringing some else, somebody else in for a couple of innings. So I like the idea, but I think you better have some extra horses down there because that extra inning is going to put an extra burden on those arms. And, and they can't, you know, it limits the number of times you can use them. Um, yeah, it does. But you're, 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 that might be a that may be a good thing yeah. because what research has shown is that when relief pitchers hit that seventy game mark about three years in a row, they either get injured or their stuff drops off significantly, and uh, yeah, that, the team set themselves up for that. One of the, I think one of the, 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 one, the probably the other best story of this team is Dan Straley. Talk about Dan Straley for a couple minutes. He's a uh, he's a pitcher's pitcher. He knows what he's doing. He, he has studied his art. Uh, he is a guy that for a long time he wanted to become a hard thrower. In fact, he went to Driveline Academy out in the Northwest so that he could learn how to throw harder. Uh, then he realized that he doesn't need to throw harder. He just needs to throw smarter. Uh, so he's realized that that there's a spot in the upper end of the strike zone where he can throw that ball um, and get guys out. And he's also figured out how to throw a slider without a traditional slider spin by putting all of his fingers on one side of the baseball. Uh, I played with a guy one time in Columbus for the Columbus Clippers named Rick Anderson. Uh, and Andy back, I think, in 1979 had, or maybe 1980, 79 or 80, he was one of the best years I've ever seen anybody have and he threw this pitch called the thing. And we call it the thing because nobody could throw it like him. And, uh, and it's the way Straley throws his slider. And that's why he gets so many great swings and misses because it doesn't look like a slider. It looks like a fastball. But it breaks. So he's a smart guy. He knows what he wants to do. Um, and uh, I, I like Straley. I mean, he was a diamond that the Reds found in, in the rough. And uh, I hope that uh, he's able to you know, have a year like he did uh, last year uh, going into next year. Let me ask you about some of the young guys and, and what you saw from them and where you think they'll be oh. and, and what we can do with them, you know, what we can, you think we can expect from them next year. Uh, John Lamb. The injury issue is going to be the problem with him. Uh, I think that he, uh, if he can get his back, back straightened out, uh, the, the guy made, sure made it look easy at times, didn't he? And then other times you couldn't throw the ball over the plate. So you've got to figure out whether well, why he can't repeat his delivery. And that's the biggest thing for him. Uh, Robert Stevenson. Robert Stevenson, uh, you know, uh, he for some reason he pitched better at the big leagues than he did at the minor leagues. But um, uh, then again, he, here's a guy that needs to learn uh, how, to, how to locate his fastball. He needs to do the thing. He needs to follow Dan Straley around a little bit and realize that, you know, when you rear back and all you're getting is 95, that's hitting speed when it comes down the middle. So you've got to be able to locate nowadays. And uh, he's got plenty of stuff, and he's got a great curveball, but he needs to figure out how to locate, and it comes back to repeating his delivery. Uh, Cody Reed. Cody Reed, uh, you know, I, I like Cody Reed. I know a lot of people are like, oh, are you kidding? Uh, I, I think he's got great upside. He just needs a, a little more experience, maybe a lot more experience. Uh, he needs to figure out how to back it off a step. You know, I, I was at the very end of my career – 
going to spring training with the Montreal Expos and Randy Johnson was coming up. Now, I'm not comparing Cody Reed to Randy Johnson, but he is a big, tall, lanky left-hander mm-hmm. where a little thing goes wrong and it makes a big problem at home plate. And I think that Reed needs to figure it out, minimize as much movement as he does in the delivery, throw his change. I mean, if, if I were the Reds, I'd have this guy on a program where he's throwing his change up three times a week all the way along. And, and, you know, the weights and the, the conditioning and all that stuff comes second. I need to get him a feel of his changeup because if he's got that, he can get big league hitters out and get them out all the time. Uh, a, a guy that's an enigma to me, Tony Singrani. Well, he's Singrani, still a young guy. You know, uh, I, I happen to really like Singrani. And I can tell you that there are a number of other teams out there that really like Singrani. And uh, I think the Reds... Uh, um, had encouraged Sinkrani to adopt the slider, and uh, that, that's a pitch that is effective down around the knees. But Sinkrani's sweet spot for him is at the upper end of the strike zone. You know, you, you're, you're healthy when you're, you're good as a pitcher when you pitch at the lower three inches of the strike zone or at the upper three inches of the strike zone. And when Sinkrani threw that forcing fastball upstairs, nobody caught up with it. But for some reason, somebody said, we need to teach this guy a slider. And in the process, he brought his fastball down from his upper sweet spot down to hitting speed, which he couldn't get all the way down around the knees. He got around the side. He starts getting beat around. His confidence goes down. He nibbles. He gets wild. And da-da-da. Everything goes haywire on him. I let Tony Sangrani go back to being Tony Sangrani, and this guy can get lefties and righties out. It doesn't matter. Have you, have you seen enough of Amir Garrett to have an opinion? Uh, no, no, I haven't. I mean, my first time I saw him pitch, I thought, this guy's never going to pitch in the big leagues. He had a little short arm action, and the ball didn't move very much, and he couldn't throw strikes, and the slider, the breaking ball was really n- not much to it. Then he worked with Jeff Facero uh, a little bit, and I understand. And now when I saw some tapes of him, now he's getting great extension with his arm. Uh, he's got a really good downward slider. I did see him pitching the Futures game on TV. Uh, I don't know what his future is. I would suspect uh, that, you know, I know they want to groom him as a starter, but I, I would I would suspect he, he may be quicker to the big leagues as, as a reliever. Okay. So so the Reds have just completed their second consecutive 90-loss season, the first time since the 30s. But by, by what measure was this season a success? By what measure would it be what? Was, was any part of this season a success? Well, the second half certainly was a lot better than the first half. I mean, I mean, they expected to be bad. They were talking 100 losses at the beginning of the year. I actually heard the word tank uh, in spring training. Uh, so, you know, the second half, I, I think that the way guys finished up, we, kept, we saw a little bit of Peraza. We answered a lot of questions we talked about tonight. Barnhart behind the plate. Hamilton improvement. Uh, Shevler and Wright, you know, uh, uh, Suarez making steps forward. I, I think there's a lot to feel good about going forward, um, but I, I certainly wouldn't measure this year by, by the number of wins or losses. Or else you're going to winter depression. Yeah, there is that. Do, do you, <laughs> so you, you don't think there's any, you think the rebuild is on track for being competitive in 2018? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And okay. There's no question about it. Okay, let me ask you a broadcasting question. How, how tough is it to broadcast a team that's going to lose that you know is going to lose ninety games a year? Is it is it tough? 
Well, it, it, it depends, Bill, I'll be honest with you. Um, first of all, if you're going to lose 90 games, lose it with the young guys that are coming on their way up, getting their, their brains beat in, rather than old guys who are on the way out. Nothing worse than an aging team that doesn't look like it cares, knowing it's going to get a lot of money, uh, the individual players, that is, where they win or lose. Um, so I think in the second half, they, they turned things around, and it was interesting to broadcast. Um, but from a broadcast standpoint, to be honest with you, whether they're up by 10 games or down by 22 games in the standings, I look at every game as its own storyline. It's got a pitching matchup. It's got a subplot. It's got maybe a manager or some coaches that, that played with the Reds or know these guys. There's always something going on behind the scenes that makes it worthwhile watching, and you hope you get a good tight ball game. And I think that's what I was hoping for the most this year. We've over the years we've been lucky to have some Reds Hall. Well, we've had we had uh, uh, a number of Reds Hall of Famers come on the podcast. Tom Browning's been on. Jim Maloney was on. That's probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. I was just in awe of talking to Jim Maloney. And I think the Reds Hall of Fame does a great job overall picking the players that they induct. Let me ask you a few others. Brandon Phillips is a no doubt Reds Hall of Famer, isn't he? Yes. Jay Bruce. Yes. Adam Dunn? Yes. Would it, and you probably know this, but I, I, I hadn't thought of it. Do you know Reggie Sanders isn't in the Reds Hall of Fame? You know what? I've only been on the committee uh, to vote for the Hall of Fame uh, one time, and that was the year that they, they put in Ronnie Oster because I jumped up and down the table and said, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Reggie belongs in there or not, to be honest with you. I mean, he, he moved on and uh, had a lot of other years elsewhere. You know, the problem with the Hall of Fame is that uh, you run out of guys to put in there. That's why you're seeing them put in so many of these, these guys from the 1800s. Yeah, Reggie had, eight, you're, you're, Reggie had eight good years for the Reds, though. Well, eight good years, you know what? If you're going to put Jay Bruce in, you better put Reggie Sanders in. And 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 I'll and I'll admit my prejudice. I think Freddie Norman ought to be in the Reds Hall of Fame, but that's just me. I uh, I agree with you 100. <laughs> percent And we and we had Freddie on one time too. What a great conversation that was. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Reds announced today, Chris, that they extended their deal with Fox Sports. To, I think it's 2032, rather than start their own network. How does this affect the the team's finances moving forward? Do you think? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure the terms have not been disclosed, uh, unless they were disclosed in the press release. They've not been disclosed to me. In fact, I, I didn't even know how long the, the term of the deal was until you just brought it up. So uh, it, it's going to make a it's going to make a difference. But I don't know if that if that deal kicks in in 2017 or 2018. I think they, they called uh, so, it an extension, so I would think it's 2018, but I don't remember exactly how it read. Yeah. Yeah, so so I, I think it's going to make a big difference. I, but again, everything is relative. You know, um, you're going to have more money in 2018 to spend if you're the Reds. But so are the Cubs. Look yeah. what they're building around around uh, you know Wrigley Field. Yeah. Uh, you know, their TV deals got to come up pretty soon. So everything is relative. The, the, the very difficult part of the economics of baseball, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. Everybody else has said it. You know, you get to the big league, or you get to the big dance, you know, one year, it's just so hard to sustain. It really is. That's why what the Cardinals have done has been just so impressive. 
That's the model that you're trying to do, is to get there every year. Give your team a chance to be in the playoffs every year. Some years you may not get in there like this year. You know, they were on, they were on a shoestring and, and, and fumes uh, the last month of the season. Um, but um, that's, a, that's a tough model for a small market is to figure out how to, how to get there every year. Uh, but I think the TV deal will help the Reds do that. But they've got to spend their money smart. They can't, they can't make some bad decisions and expect that to pay off. Do you see the Cubs as a potential dynasty? I'm sorry? Do you see the Cubs as a, as a potential dynasty being very good for quite well, a while? Yeah, I, I see them potentially because they, they've got uh, really good young players. They've got smart people running the operation. And they have a lot of money to spend, yep. and that's a uh, that's a perfect storm. Yeah, it's a tough combination to beat. Well, Chris, as always, you've been more than generous with your time again today, and, and I want to thank you very much. And I hope we can get you on here again soon, maybe before the season starts. Well, you tell Chad Dobson I'm still waiting for that first check. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell him, he, and, and you got back pay coming. <laughs> with, with negative interest, if that's <laughs> well, what it takes. You know, you know, he's a lawyer, so you know how that is. Oh, geez, no wonder. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris. all right. Well, well, hey, Bill, it was, it was great visiting with you, and uh, keep up the good work. I check in on you guys often. Okay, and, thanks. Uh, I will continue to do so. I appreciate it. Take care, my friend. Take care. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.